Good morning, FCBC. It's great to be able to share some thoughts on Philippians chapter 1 with you. I think of all the epistles in the New Testament, Philippians is my favourite. It contains some wonderful pictures of Jesus. It contains really practical, helpful advice. And to me, it's a book that's easy enough, to, it's accessible. We can read it, we can understand it. And so for you to be going through Philippians, I think is a really great exercise. And I've got the privilege of uh, sharing on Philippians 1. This is how the message translated. Meanwhile, live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Let nothing in your conduct hang on whether I come or not. Your conduct must be the same whether I show up to see things for myself or hear it from a distance. Stand united, singular in vision, contending for people's trust in the message, the good news. Not flinching or dodging in the slightest before the opposition, your courage and unity will show them what they're up against. Defeat for them, victory for you, and both because of Christ. There's far more to this life than trusting in Christ. There's also suffering for him. And the suffering is as much a gift as the trusting. You're involved in the same kind of struggle you saw me go through, on which you are now getting an updated report in this letter. One thing I often find helpful if I've got a passage that I've been asked to speak on is to read it in different translations, because each translation will brings a slightly different flavour. And I find often you read a, a well-known passage in a translation you're not so familiar with and something jumps out. Sometimes on cynical days, I think there's enough versions of the Bible, you're sure to find one that you'll, you'll find something you agree with. But the version I like a lot is the New Living Translation. And in the passage in that version, in verse 27, Paul tells us to stand together with one spirit. In verse 28, he tells us to fight together for the faith. And in verse 30, he talks about us being in a struggle together. And what Paul is saying here as he addresses the church is there's something about being together that is so vital for the ongoing life of the church. Church is about being together. Now, one thing that I do is I carry in my Bible a reference to all the verses in the New Testament that have the words one another in. And there's um, about 50, I think. We're told to love one another, admonish one another, pray for one another. Um, so many things we're told to do because the church in the New Testament is built around being together and built around being one another. And here in this passage, Paul is exhorting the Philippians to be together, to work together, to make sure there's a unity of the spirit. One thing I think Paul realised, and we see it in Ephesians 4, is that he realised that we might not all agree together. In fact, in Ephesians 4, at the start of the chapter, he says, let's maintain the unity of the spirit. And then in the end of the chapter, he says, until we all attain a unity of the faith. And one of the dynamics of church life is we might not all agree together on some issues. 
Now, for me, the bottom line is there's an understanding of the person of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit that is foundational. And also in that there's an understanding of how we respect, use scripture. And that will vary from church to church. You'll have the extreme fundamentalists to liberals. But to me, the place of scripture is a key foundation point in how we operate church. But he's saying you won't all agree together, but stand together in unity. And one thing that I think is a challenge for FCBC and I like about FCBC is that you don't all agree together. Some examples which I know have been made public, so I'm not revealing anything I should, but I know there'll be some of you who, because of life circumstances, family issues, have had to face up to issues regarding the LGBT community. And there'd be others of you who aren't there. You would disagree. Now, to me, church isn't that I'm in this church because I agree with everybody, but I'm in this church because I'm joined, because we're together and because we're family. And if we can accept the differences and be willing to learn and encourage and listen to each other, then I believe there's a real strength in the church. And I know as well, uh, there might be issues because some will like a particular flavor of, it might be worship, it might be um, a, theologian, a theologian's input, it might be a whole variety of things, but different people will respond to different things because we're wired up differently. Some people will like contemplative worship. Some will like, it, like exuberant praise. Some meditative, meditative people will like the theologians who get you to contemplate, to think. Others who, who might look at it more from a, a, not an academic point of view, but more from a words point of view and a logic point of view might struggle with some of those things. And because we're all different, we will all approach things differently. But what Paul says here is stand together with one spirit. Let's deal carefully with those who might disagree with us. Because one thing I've discovered for myself is um, there are some things that I held so firmly and tightly to 30 years ago that I've changed my stance. And I'm glad that people have stood with me and accepted some of my journey and my struggles and my wrestling with issues. Because so often our theology is shaped sometimes by our culture. I, th I think generalization, but forgive me for that. The theology of churches in the States will be different from the theology of churches in Britain because culturally we've got a different approach. Um, I've been very fortunate this year. I've been able to travel really the first time since COVID and since having some surgery. And I've been to Africa, I've been to India and I've been to Sri Lanka. And what I see is very different contexts. But I see the churches expressing theology differently because of the culture and the situation that they're in. And I don't want my theology to be shaped by external things, but I want to learn and embrace 
from those who, living in a different context, have a theology that has to work. I might have said before, but a friend of mine did a master's degree on multicultural church. And his basic premise was there's a white theology and there's a black theology. And again, it's a generalization. So hear it like that. And he said the white theology is a white Protestant theology. Work harder, do more, pray longer. He said the black theology is how can we find God through suffering and struggles? And he said these two theologies are so different. And in his experience, and he did pastor a church in a multicultural area of Bristol, his experience was he saw very few multicultural churches because if there was a black person in a white church, they had to adopt the white culture and theology and vice versa. So there will be differences, but what is important is that we are joined with a unity of spirit. And there's some things that I see disagreement in the church, and I think we're not going to know what's right until the end comes. There's a guy I've been mentoring, he was a church pastor for many years, I, I mentored him and we got a close friendship. He would be more right-wing theologically than I am. And he came to me just a couple of weeks ago and said, Dave, you know, I've raised these issues. I know you don't agree with me. Does that affect our friendship? And I said, no, because I've learned from him. I don't agree with everything as he doesn't agree with me. But if I don't have my ears open to hear those who've got a different perspective, I will end up with a very restricted view of life, of God, of church, of everything. And so Paul says, stand together. And my encouragement to you is, please maintain the unity of the spirit, because you might not agree on everything. And you might not agree on everything till the end, when it's almost too late. But what unites us is far greater than what divides us. Uh, and then he says, we've got to fight for the message of the gospel. What I like, he, he says, fight together. He doesn't mean fight together, which you do see in many churches. He says, fight together for. And my question to you today as FCBC is, what are you fighting together for? And to me, this touches on the element of mission, because what he's saying is that um, fight together because you're contending for people's trust in the message, in the good news. And I would ask, what are you fighting together for? Now, I've heard a lot of talk about mission in FCBC, and mission has always been at the heart of what you do. But sometimes I think we need to say, well, are we fighting together for this? Now, what does that look like? Because I know you've raised the issue, and I've referred to this before, of mission in geographical areas. It might be with the students, it might be in the triangle, it might be in other areas. If it's really your mission, you will fight together for it. So my question would be, if God is calling you to reach the students, who is going to fight together for that? 
and again something I touched on before but I think is pertinent for you in FCBC you have the ability to um, get into some subcultures some cultural sets that aren't geographical and it might be the art culture in Madison it might be the music culture in Madison but who are you fighting together for that and if FCBC is going to fulfill all its potential and its call there's going to be a need to fight together for certain things because they will be contended and I see unique qualities amongst you which I love and I think are brilliant but they will be contended and unless you fight together for them then you will lose that cutting edge that is there. What are you fighting together for? And then he talks about the struggle and we struggle together. Now I know struggle is a very relative term. As I said, this year I've been fortunate enough to go to Zambia in Central Africa India and Sri Lanka, formerly known as Ceylon, right at the bottom of India. And I've seen real struggles. Um, in Zambia, poverty is a main issue. And we're working with friends who are trying to help women exit street sex work. It's poverty driven. Certainly in the West, in England, from my knowledge and um, things I've seen and situations I've been involved in, street sex work is driven by drugs. In Zambia it's not, it's poverty. When AIDS was rampant, many men died, leaving their wives with often several children, and there was no benefit, no help from the welfare or anything like that. And what do you do if you're a woman, you've lost your husband, you've got several children, you've got no income, you will do anything to feed them. And they ended up having to do what they hated doing. And so our friends are, are getting alongside them. And as a charitable trust in Bristol, we were able to sponsor some of these women. So over 30 have been trained and have now got jobs and have got businesses. And they don't have to sell themselves. And they in turn now are helping other women, which is brilliant. But the struggle has been poverty driven. In India, again, there's great wealth in India, but there's great poverty. And there's a state in the east called Manipur, which uh, um, it's more of a rural state than some of the bigger states. It's made up of valley people and tribal people. The tribal people um, generally came to faith as Christians. The valley people didn't. And over the years, they've generally got unwell. But in more recent years, the militant government, which wants to squash any Christian um, growth and, and other religions, has just turned the valley people against the tribal people. And last week I was talking on Zoom to my friend, Indian pastor, and I've got several friends who pastor in the state, and they said 50 churches had been destroyed. At least 30 people had been killed. And when I was in India in March, again, another friend of mine who's a pastor was preaching in a village and he was arrested because 
um, on the charge of trying to convert people. And though he was released, it's all part of the intimidation. And so when I talk about my struggles, I think of my friends in India and Sri Lanka, beautiful country, desperately hit by COVID, by tsunamis, um, a corrupt government, massive inflation. And when we were there, so many businessmen who'd had really good jobs had got no jobs. And in ministry times at the end of meetings, people would say, we've got no money. Their suffering is different. So suffering is a very relative term. And what I do know, because, um, because my friends in India are suffering, I can't pretend that, um, you know, I, I can't stop doing things in the situation I'm in. But we all suffer. And for some, it'll be individual suffering. It'll be suffering like grief. Um, it might be depression. It might be finances. It might be just coming to terms, with, you know, those of us who are getting old, it's coming to terms with limitations. And though that might not be quite as intense as having your church building destroyed in India, it's suffering. How do we cope? He says we're in this struggle together. I, like everybody, have had to process some heartache and some suffering and some things that we never thought would happen. Um, like some of you probably heartache with families, heartache with illness, um, a cancer battle, etc., etc. As I've come through it, what I know is I've come through with friends. Being in the body of Christ means that Jesus puts alongside us those who can help us in our struggles. And your strength as a church is not in your numbers or your meetings. It's in your ability to stand and to fight and to struggle together. Now, you are quite a nomadic church at this stage. And the trouble is, it would, it would be great if you could say, well, in three years time, this is going to happen. I love the story in Exodus when Moses, it's almost as though he wants to prove, you know, it is a good leader with a hotline to God. And he said, God, if we're your people, just, you know, give me the five year plan. And I, I bet at times your elders would love to be able to get up and say, God's told us this is going to happen in the next five years. And God didn't. And all God said to him was, um, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses suddenly saw it. It wasn't a five-year plan he needed. He just needed God's presence to go with him. And for you as a church, in this nomadic time, we can't say, yeah, God is really going to open this and this is going to happen, because you're still walking through trusting him. But struggling together means to say, we will walk at the speed of God's presence. We will walk in the direction that God leads us in and sometimes it's slower than we would like and it's like the verse that says when you walk to the left or the right you'll hear a voice behind you saying this is the way walk in it and it might be for you as you take steps there'll be times when God prompts you and pulls you back in line but for you as a church 
This is a part of your struggle. Don't compare it with struggles in other more desperate places because you're not there. But it is a struggle. If you're an individual and you're struggling with something and you think you shouldn't be because we're supposed to be victorious, you know, God says struggle together. And if you've ever got a spare hour or half an hour, just Google or get into Bible Gateway and look at the one another's and say, well, what Paul is saying to the church at Philippi is if you can be this to one another, then you will stand together. Then you will fight together and you will face your struggles together. But you will see something of God's kingdom. And he starts off by saying, live a life worthy of the kingdom of God. And to me, a life worthy of the kingdom of God means that we hold on to God, to his kingdom, to his values, to his person. As we journey together, it'll affect who we are and how we are. Paul did say, um, don't do this because I might be coming back, I might not be coming back. I hope you realise that over the years, FCBC has been a very important part of my life and journey. And I value, treasure the friendships and the memories I've got of FCBC and the welcome I've always had. I'd love to come back at some stage. If that happens, great. If it doesn't, that's life. But we are in this together. And I'd like to say from a few thousand miles away, I want to journey with you together as much as I can at this distance. I want to stand together with you. I want to fight together with you. And I want to bear your struggles with you because I want to live a life that is worthy of the kingdom of God. Thank you. Bye-bye.